Um, right now, and um, just so you know, this uh, video will be recorded and then will be released tomorrow. The idea was to uh, make the recording and then release it, which is um, tomorrow, Sunday, April 11th, which will be the International Day of Maternal Health and Rights. Um, so I'm just going to take a screenshot right now. All right, perfect. So um, good afternoon once again. You're welcome to uh, one of our series, uh, GEMS in Global Surgery series. So um, by way of introduction, um, I would first of all like to recognize the presence of uh, our speaker for today, uh, Dr. Essien Atta. Uh, he's a senior registrar in the University of Rio Teaching Hospital and uh, uh, he's very passionate, he's uh, uh, my teacher. So um, I think I should be in the best position in this, uh, in our midst to talk about him. So um, we're glad to have you with us, sir. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, sir. Um, okay, so um, today is um, the, the 10th of um, April, 2021, and tomorrow will be, uh, April 11th, the International Day for uh, Maternal Health and Rights. And uh, we are glad to have um, Dr. Atal with us, who will be demystifying the challenges of um, maternal health and rights in Nigeria. So uh, before I go on, okay, uh, I would quickly love to, you know, I would love to introduce some other persons that are amongst us here. Uh, first on my list is the chair. Uh, of Institution Nigeria. So um, we have Eminogu uh, Uchenna Chisom with us, who is the chair of Institution Nigeria. Eminogu uh, Uchenna, please can you just um, say hi to our participants and the speaker? Yes, hello everyone. It's quite a pleasure to have you all here with us on this edition of Gems in Global Surgery. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, so, uh, there are a lot of other persons that will join us, probably midway, uh, but I think we should just continue. Um, please, I would love you to, uh, as a chair, speak on um, incision and then um, incision Nigeria. Just a quick summary of what we do and who we are. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Nossi. I think I would love to use a slide for, that, my, for my presentation. Okay, can you all see the slide, please? Yes. Okay, fine, thank you very much. So, um, first of all, of course, you know where we are. This is a session, it's National Student Surgical Network. Okay, yes. And um, in session Nigeria, we have, um, we have a couple of um, former coaches, Aliyu Indajiwo and Nelson Benabasi. Um, first of all, talking about incision, um, the vision of, of incision definitely is centered around global surgery. And of course, we all know that about 5 billion people worldwide lack access to safe surgical care when needed. And this has resulted to about, to about 17 million preventable deaths each year. 
and this is responsible for about one third of the global burden of disease. Now the question still comes in, why global surgery? Why global surgery? Annually, we have about three, one, three million surgical procedures which take place around the world. And yet there is an additional one, four, three million interventions needed and about 2.28 million surgeons needed um, for us to meet and to cover this unmet need in global surgery. Now, this is where incision comes to play. As a matter of fact, incision is a non-profit organization which represents over 5,000 students, trainees, and any career physicians around the world who are very passionate about the global surgery. And we work towards the common goal of access to safe, timely, and affordable surgical health care for all. Now, for incision, our work centers around three pillars which comprises of advocacy, education, and research. Now, permit me to just take you through um, a short walk through memory lane. Um, incision started as an informal group of students in 2014, and it grew to become um, formally established um, in March 2016. Uh, in 2017, we organized our first um, World Health Assembly side event at the 70th uh, World Health Assembly on the on 24th of May 2017 in Geneva, Switzerland. Then in 2020, which was last year, um, we had about 5,000 members in over 80 countries and for five fully established national working groups, which Incision Nigeria is part of. Now, the vision of incision is timely access to safe surgical and aesthetic and obstetric care for everyone everywhere when needed. Why the mission remains to unite, to develop and to mentor future surgeons and anesthesiologists and obstetricians around the world. Our core values, of course, include capacity building, collaboration, diversity, education, equity, integrity, and mentorship. If you've been following um, the global um, surgery sphere, of course, you might have heard the term equity several times. This is also part of what we stand for as an organization. Our goals, we have about seven goals in decision. The first is to advocate for timely and affordable access to safe surgery and anesthesia for everyone, everywhere, when needed. For everyone, everywhere, when needed. Number two is to connect students, residents, young doctors, and everyone who is interested in surgery, anesthesia, and obstetrics around the world. Number three, our goal is to bridge the gap between students, residents, and young doctors and every other healthcare professionals. Then to raise the voices of students and residents and also their influence in improving global access to surgical and anesthesia care. Our goal also is to inform the wider public around the world about global surgery its barriers and possible interventions. And this is where advocacy comes to play. And also to contribute to advancing research in global surgery and to produce future generations of surgeons, anesthesiologists and obstetricians. Now in incision, this is our um, organogram, of course. We have our board of trustees. We have our board of advisors. 
we also have our, okay, yes, in our board of trustees and the board of advisors, we have our chairs also. Last year we had co-chairs, but this year we have just one chair. Then we have our um, vice president, external affairs, our VPI, our vice president, national working group, our vice president, finance, advocacy team lead, education team lead, research team lead. And under each of these teams, or as we, uh, as we call it, committees, we have team members in each of these committees. Uh, I think I'll just have to leave, I won't speak much on this. Um, for us in Nigeria, we have three committees, otherwise three teams, advocacy, research, and education. So for us, our team lead for advocacy is Dr. Esther, for education is Dr. Ismail Gazal, and for research, Dr. Olaoluwa Adeyemo. And that's the end. Thank you very much. No, it seems you're muted. Okay, yeah, uh, thank you very much, Chair um, Uche Naimenogo, for that nice presentation. Uh, we're going to be moving to the uh, interview program today. So, please, um, I will implore um, all participants to mute their mics and um, as we begin the interview. So, um, Again, I want to introduce uh, Dr. Esen Atta. He's a senior registrar in University of Uyo, uh, teaching hospital, Uyo, Nigeria. And um, he will be our speaker for today. Uh, the topic is challenges of uh, maternal health and rights in Nigeria. So um, I hope you listen, get your pen and your paper and uh, write things down. And um, as he's going to be talking about uh, the challenges of maternal health and rights in Nigeria. Uh, quickly, uh, uh, for those of us joining us, um, tomorrow, April 11th, will be the International Day of uh, Maternal Health and Rights. And um, we're having this interview uh, as against tomorrow. So the video will be, uh, it's been recorded and released tomorrow. Thank you uh, for joining us. So, sir. Okay. Um, Thank you very much for having me. All right. So, um, sir. We will actually love to know you more uh, just before we bump into the uh, topic proper to, for today. Uh, we want to know you more. Uh, what was your childhood like, uh, family and early education? Uh, and then you could um, kind of veer in into uh, why you chose obstetrics and gynecology as uh, you know your preferred specialty. Okay, um, thank you very much for having me on this interview. Um, my childhood, I grew up in two major cities in Nigeria, which is Lagos and Kanu. My earlier years were in Lagos, later years in Kanu. So, and again, coming from the eastern part of Nigeria, I tend to have a, I say, cosmopolitan outlook of the country as a whole, having experienced all parts of Nigeria, even I attended various schools in Lagos. I attended Corona and Arsavius as my prior for my primary education. And then I went to Federal Government College, Kanu, for my secondary education. Then went back to Lagos for my university education at the University of Lagos. Um, Lagos is a very cosmopolitan city in Nigeria. 
where there's a union and a mixture of all the various tribes and you get to meet so many people from different parts of Nigeria and have a wider perspective of how the ideal situation should be in the country. In University of Lagos, I will say that that's where the inspiration to go into obstetrics and gynecology started from. You cannot stand tall as a man or as an individual if you don't stand on the shoulders of giants. And my first contact with obstetrics and gynecology then, the head of department was Professor Giwa Osagi. And uh, he was the first person to have done IBS in, in, in Africa, in Nigeria. Then, at a very, very young age then, and he became a professor at a very, very young age back then. And we always looked at him as a student as, wow, this is somebody that we all want to be like in future. And he happened to also have that fertility unit with Professor Gedembe, a female professor of obstetrics and gynecology, who I can say was the main person that made me venture into obstetrics and gynecology. She took us as students and led us and mentored us so much that so many of us that were under her tutelage decided to go into obstetrics and gynecology, mainly because of her mentorship and her care and her concern for us as students back then. Also, a special mention for the chief resident then, when I was a house officer, um, Dr. Obioma Okori. He was somebody that took us, not even as colleagues, he took us as brothers, as sisters, and put us through obstetrics and gynecology that many of us saw it as a profession that we want to go into in the future. Then even during my um, career as a resident doctor, I have to mention four very, very important professors that have shaped my career so much. Professor Moyo, who has been such a mentor and a great person to all of us that have trained under him, teaching us the basics of obstetrics and gynecology and also teaching us the surgical aspects of it. Uh, Professor Moore, who is also a teacher of teachers. Finally enough, he also trained on that both Iwasagi and Ogedembe. So I knew him right back, even when I was a student at a house officer in Lagos. So with that mentorship that Professor Iwasagi and also Professor Ogedembe carried through even to him. So uh, we are all children of those professors, and also special mention for Professor, professor Abasiata, um, the art of obstetrics. There are very few professors that know the art of obstetrics, like Professor Abasiata. He is an obstetrician by excellence, and learning under him has been a great privilege. And also Professor Mbasi. Um, one thing about Mbasi, one thing I learned from him is the boldness of a lion. Uh, Professor Mbasi can get into very difficult surgeries and he gets himself out very easily. Now you will wonder what kind of man is he, but he makes things seem very simple that seem that in actual fact are very hard. 
So what I'm, why I'm mentioning all this is also part of what Incision is about, and that is mentorship for young um, doctors that are coming up in surgery, anesthesia, and obstetrics. You cannot go far without having mentors. You cannot go far in the profession without having mentors, without having teachers that teach you and bring you up to that level that they are. So that is why it's very, very important that even as you're choosing your career path as students, as, um, as young doctors, that you key into a person that you know is going to carry you through in your career. And you will definitely reach the pinnacle by the grace of God. So um, that is just what I just wish to pass across to assist those that are still having difficulty in choosing their career path. But career paths in surgery, anesthesia, and obstetrics and gynecology are quite fulfilling. And I encourage other young doctors to go into this field of endeavor. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. That was quite exceptional. Uh, I think what strikes me the most about um, your, 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 your answer to that is that of mentorship. And I think that agrees very much with one of our core values, which is uh, you know, mentorship, linking up uh, the young uh, students and uh, uh, interested uh, young uh, physicians uh, with those who we call the giants uh, and who can show them the way. Uh, so thank you very much, sir. Uh, without further ado, um, I would like to introduce my co-moderator. Uh, she's here with us. Uh, she's um, Efata um, Sisi. She's a final year medical student in, uh, in Ibinadio University in Edo State. And um, she'll be taking the next question. Uh, Sisi, please, you, you have the floor. You're mute, you're mute. Please unmute yourself. Uh, sorry, thank you very much, sir. So I would like to ask you, being an authority in the care of women, can you share some of your experiences with us? I know they will be like a book, but at least some, I'd like to hear some from you, sir. Thank you very much for your question. Um, what I can say is that in, since we're dealing with, with maternal care, maternal care is like being at the war front. Now, let me just put it like that because there's a lot of challenges in forming and offering care to women in Nigeria. There are a lot of high points and there are also a lot of low points. I'll give some trade. Some high points, when you see a patient that has been trying to get pregnant for 10, 15 years, and by the miracle of in vitro fertilization, that patient gets pregnant, and has successfully delivery of twins, of triplets, or even singletons, one child. That is when your joy as an obstetrician somehow becomes complete. You share in those families' joy. I know how many times I walk around on the street and somebody I can even hardly remember will walk up to me and even embrace me. Or I will say, who is this woman that is embracing you? The woman will say, ah, thank you for your husband. He did so much to help me. Those are the kind of joy and happiness that money cannot buy because you know that you're given back to humanity and there's somebody somewhere that appreciates what you've done so much. The low points 
which one tries to make them as few as possible. It's when you've done your utmost best, you've tried so hard to save a patient and you end up losing that patient or lose the mother and lose the baby. Those are the low points in one's obstetric career. And we try and make them as few as possible. We try and put in our best so that these women will be able to be saved. Because having children in Nigeria still remains a very high-risk endeavor. Many feel that pregnancy and delivery should be just a normal process, normal physiological process. There should not be any problems with a woman coming to the hospital to have a delivery and she should go back with her life intact and her baby intact. Fine, most times it happens that way. But in Nigeria, most times, more compared to other countries, it doesn't happen that way. Nigeria has one of the highest maternal mortality statistics in the world. What I mean by maternal mortality, the risk of a woman dying because of pregnancy is higher in Nigeria compared to other countries. And that should be a cause of bother to everybody. Fine, because of the global pandemic, people are afraid of coronavirus and all other viral diseases. I hear there's bird flu, this one, that. But the truth about it is that maternal mortality in Nigeria is a bigger problem than even coronavirus, bird flu, and it is sort of downplayed so much. Let me give you a, a very frightening statistic that Nigeria constitutes just 2% of the world population, but we contribute 20% of maternal mortality worldwide. That is scary. Only 2% of the world population contribution, contributing 20% of maternal mortality worldwide. That is very scary. In the United Kingdom, our colonial masters, the maternal mortality rate is per year is around between eight, nine, uh, it's nine women per 100,000 women that deliver. But in Nigeria, it's not like that. In Nigeria, we're talking about 814. Please get me right. 814. That is 100 times more than our colonial masters in the United Kingdom. So that means that there's a very big problem. And these are the issues that make us feel down sometimes that despite our best efforts, despite what we are doing, maternal mortality still remains so high in Nigeria. And what are the efforts being put in place to reduce this maternal mortality? And let's not forget that for each woman that dies, about five, six other women have some serious injury to themselves. Some women lose their womb, some women end up having the psychovaginal fistula, they pee, they can't control their pee again. So all these issues are the issues that are cause for concern, which we wish to address. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir. I guess you said it all. It's true. The mortality, maternal mortality ratio is quite on the high side, especially here in Nigeria. 
and hopefully we hope we are going to provide solutions or mention strategies for us. Nelson, over to you. All right. So thank you very much, my co-moderator. Uh, I really appreciate that um, detailed response. So, um, sir, again, tomorrow is the you know the uh, International Day of Maternal Health and, and Rights, and like you rightly said, uh, we have the bulk the bulk of the uh, poor indices is being uh, is Nigeria is responsible for a bulk of the, the poor indices in maternal um, health and rights. Uh, you, if I if I heard you right. 814, which is very, very bad. So, um, and uh, definitely there must be some factors or what we call problems that are responsible for this. Please, can you um, uh, highlight uh, what are the problems uh, that, that is facing you know, uh, Nigeria? What are the challenges facing Nigeria? Thank you very much for that question. Um, the challenges of Nigeria are like a hydra, they are multifaceted. And it is good that we try and simplify them as much as possible so that we understand what are the challenges, why are women dying more than in other countries in Nigeria. To simplify everything, there's a model in which we call the delay. Um, a lot of obstetricians in Nigeria sat down and at the level of tertiary healthcare, that's the teaching hospitals and the federal medical centers, they sat down and saw that maternal mortality is very high in Nigeria, despite the fact that even we have these tertiary hospitals, even within them, the mortality is still high. So they commissioned the study to investigate and see what is the problem. And this study is called When Getting There Is Not Enough. That even when the women come, by the time they get to the hospital, what they, they are not even able to survive. It's supposed to be when the woman gets to the tertiary hospital, all things are available to keep her alive. So by the time the woman gets there, she's already so bad that there's little they can do. So the number one reason why women die is delayed. By the time the patient gets to the point of care that they can receive the help that they need, it's too late. They can't be helped. There's a way a person's body is that by the time they get, if they are so ill, by the time they get there, it's too late. There's little or nothing that can be done, even with the best that can be put in place to help and take care of the patient. So that is why addressing these delays in getting the appropriate answer best health is very important. The first delay is the delay in making, in making that decision to go to the hospital. There are a number of factors which we shall address during the course of this discussion that influence patient's decision-making. to seek for care. The second delay is the delay in getting to the health facility. Some parts of Nigeria are not easily accessible. So like those that stay in the riverine area, they will need a boat, 
Even those that live in the cities at night, do we have a taxi service, a dedicated taxi service in most major cities that they can pick up a woman in the night and take her to the hospital? Are ambulance services, how effective and efficient are they in developing countries? Even patients' perception to ambulance, I've seen patients say that ambulance is for only carrying dead bodies in, in where they are, where they are carrying, uh, that ambulance are used as tests to carry their bodies to the cemetery, that they will not enter an ambulance. So the problem now is that delay in getting to the health facility. Even within the health facility, there are other delays. Finding the doctor, finding the nurse, paying for car, retrieving the patient's folder. Those are possible delays that could make a difference between life or death. So these are the problems. It is not that we don't have personnel, we don't have the capability to save these patients, to reduce maternal mortality. The problem is by the time most patients get to the hospital, it is too late for intervention to save them. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. So, um, Sisi, would you like to take the next question? Please unmute yourself. All right. Thank you very much, sir. In fact, only enough. Eh? The next question was supposed to talk about some of the delays and also mention some that have been placed to prevent this maternal mortality. Like we are aware, safe motherhood initiative, the emergency of surgery care. Well, would you agree that these measures are being effectively used? Just as okay. All right. Thank you very much. Um, they is a very how I put it. Nigeria has a very huge problem, and that has to do with our so how social, cultural, and religious influences play on health-seeking behavior. I'll give you an instance. They are, in essence, a health post, primary health care center in every local government in Nigeria. They are general hospitals, teaching hospitals that are strategically located in various cities so as to cater for the needs of pregnant women and women that have complications due to pregnancy. But both in the north and the south of Nigeria, there are sociocultural and religious beliefs that hamper the use of these facilities. That is also a major problem. It is one thing to say to put up a facility, but to get people to use that facility is another issue. In the south, especially in the southeast, there's a high um, belief, there's a high level of belief in patients having delivery in churches or at home. They believe that it is wrong for women to deliver outside in the hospital. So already that puts 
patients help to help taken behavior such that they do not want to go to the hospital until it is too late. And this is a problem that must be addressed. And what are the reasons for these beliefs? Some believe that it is their faith in God that will ensure that they have a normal delivery and they should not deliver in the hospital. So it is good to approach religious leaders, leaders of thought, to address those issues. Also, some believe that they prefer to go to the traditional birth attendant, that they will receive better care, they are more caring. But those in the traditional orthodox hospital are not caring to patients. They neglect the patient, and that, that is why women die in the hospital. Now, it is need, there's a need to address this. The World Health Organization, even the Federal Ministry of Health, has been doing a lot of training on what is called respectful maternal care, which is in line with the goals of incision as well, which is that you want patients to know their rights. You want hospitals to enable patients to know their rights, that they, are, they have a right to have care that is free of abuse, free of neglect, and free and care that is not disrespectful and takes into cognizance their own cultural belief system as well. So that tries to address that problem, that problem of patients using the health facilities, having confidence in the orthodox health facilities that will go a long way in achieving the best for the patient. In the northern part of Nigeria, there are also issues. The, just the issue about, especially those women that are in further, they cannot go out without their husband's permission. So a woman delivers in the house, she starts bleeding after delivery, there's nobody to take her to the hospital, and she will not even go if her husband is not around to give his permission. So these issues mean what? There needs to be education. There needs to be better communication. They need to be specially trained midwives that are able to enter into the communities to take care of these women at, a point, at their point of care there. And if need be, to transfer them to a higher level of care. So the main problem we have in, a, in Nigeria as a whole is not only having the health facilities, but let patients be encouraged to use these health facilities. Let me give a very, very frightening statistic that only 60% of Nigerian women go to the hospital for antenatal care. And out of that 60%, only one third of that number will end up seeking delivery from a skilled birth attendant. That is a very, very frightening statistic, and it has not changed over time. The only thing that has changed much is most women know they should go for accidental care. But delivery in the hospital, it has almost virtually remained stagnant. So that means that we need to address that issue of respectful maternal care. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Like, I'm impressed. Now, talking on this maternal rights, 
I want to share an experience. And she came of comfortable. Okay, she could no longer deliver her vagina. And they said the suggestion was she go for a C-section. And then the other said, No, other women have been giving birth like the Hebrew because my wife go through a C-section and refused to sign the consent form. What do you mean? as an attending right there what do you think you will do because if i stand to be corrected at least abroad in uk for example there is this law of autonomy as far as she's in the mental she has the mental capability to make the decision to give consent she's allowed to but here in nigeria we sit on either a relative or a husband what do you have to say about that okay thank you very much that's a very important question um I, I i will be honest with you that i don't think there's any month if not every week that we are faced with this challenge and i assure you that even here in nigeria we respect patient's autonomy patients have the right to decide for themselves what you can just do as a doctor is to counsel them and part of that counseling thank god you mentioned it we are very expressed that is what we also often hear. We often hear women say they want to deliver like Hebrew women. And it's good to go reference back to that part of the Bible, which is in Exodus 1, in verse 17. They, many people just say we want to deliver by Hebrew women, but they don't know the circumstances of which that uh, passage in the Bible came about. Pharaoh called the Hebrew midwives and ask them, why is it that you have not killed the male children as I directed you to kill? Now, these women answered him that before they get there, that the Hebrew women are very vigorous, that they have already delivered before they get there, carry their baby and run away. Now, in honest truth, under those circumstances, do we think those women were saying the truth? It's not true. Those midwives did not say the truth. If they told Pharaoh, no, Pharaoh, we refuse to kill our own people. Because that is actually the, the truth. But what happened? What will happen to them if they told Pharaoh, Pharaoh, no, it's a lie. We will not kill our own people. Pharaoh will kill all of them. <laughs> that is the truth. And so they told, it's obvious that what they said was a lie to make sure that they will not be killed. That is the honest truth under those circumstances. So there is nothing that there are some women that are more vigorous than others. There are women that have um, such deliveries that, oh, they will never have the serum section or anything like that. No. So it needs now for us to tell women the context in which that part of the scripture was put in. Tell them the consequences. That's what we call counseling. They may not agree. Oftentimes, there may be some resistance. So we go back and still counsel them. We don't, we don't say because of what they said, no, you don't agree. You just leave them and go away and say, ah, that's their own portion in life, if they die or not, what is my own concern? No, you still go back at periodic instance and say, madam, how are you? Um, okay, when you came, you came with these other women. These other women have delivered you, you're still here. You two consider that. Isn't it a possibility that there's something wrong, there's a problem? 
And as a human being, a human being has a right, a human being reflects on what is going on, what they are seeing. And that helps to change their decision, helps to change what they believe in now so as we can achieve a good outcome. So what I would advise, because a lot of doctors going forward will meet this challenge. There's no way that you will not meet this challenge that patients want to exercise their autonomy. Very, very free if they don't agree with what you advise. But you keep on going back to remind them of the consequences. Madam, you may lose your baby's life if you continue to delay. They may lose your baby. This is a baby you're carried for nine months. And then after nine months, you go home with a dead baby. Think about it. Is that what you want? Madam, please, if we don't do the cesarean section, if we don't do this surgery, you may lose your life. If you lose your life, what about your other children in the home and the house? Who is going to take care of them? You make the patient to begin to see what are the likely scenarios that can occur if they don't um, comply with the best advice that you give. In the end, most patients comply, but there are still some patients that will not comply and you just have to document, allow them to sign and um, respect their wishes. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Over to you, Nelson. Uh, thank, thank you very much for that uh, um, very wonderful um, illustration and um, explanation. So, um, so far, so good. Uh, it seems like the sociocultural um, you know, factors tend to be dominating. Uh, so uh, that leads me to my next question right now, actually. Uh, so uh, do you think um, there's this power also uh, between the social cultural factors and uh, you know, policy-based factors um, in being the most important uh, you know, cause of poor maternal indices uh, in, in Nigeria? Uh, because uh, we've not, I, I don't think we've really um, touched on uh, the policy-based factors. It seems like the sociocultural factors is um, kind of supreme. Uh, in your opinions, I do think it is supreme or um, is, the, uh, is there a place for the policy-based factors? Thank you very much. Policy is very, very important. Mm, policy cannot be uh, downplayed in actual truth because it is the policy that gives the, it's like the, the petrol that runs the engine. However, the social cultural factors are the human beings that drive the car. So the policy is the car itself, the petrol you put inside the car. The health store, the petrol you put inside the car is the policy. The car itself is the health facility, but the human beings inside are the social cultural and religious issues. So you cannot divorce any of them if you want to get from one location to the other. The policies too have a very huge influence on um, human on maternal rights in Nigeria. In a lot of advanced and in the developed world, um, maternal care and genital care is covered by health insurance and is seen as a social responsibility of the government. However, in Nigeria, it, there is no definitive policy in place 
on that issue. And so what happens is that a lot of the expenditure for healthcare comes from out of pocket, meaning the patients pay for their own healthcare. And that in itself, that policy on itself discourages a lot of patients from coming to the hospital on time. They calculate and see the cost of delivering in the hospital is almost five or ten times more than a patient that delivers in the house. And for those that are from a lower socioeconomic group, lower social class, that cannot afford the health care in the hospital, those ones who gravitate to substandard care will gravitate to the traditional birth attendant. And it's only when their complications set in that they go to the hospital. Government policy needs to be modified so as to give universal coverage to all pregnant women. There was a time that bills were raised that were talking that if, for pregnant women, they sh it, it is, should be a right. It should not be something that, um, would I say, it is not something that should be denied pregnant women. That should be a right, that they should have access to the best healthcare possible. However, in resource-poor countries like Nigeria, what, who is going to foot the bill? What financial structures are put in place to ensure universal coverage? It is not impossible, but it needs the policymakers to draw up a, a sustainable policy that will address this issue. And there must be commitments to this. Nigeria has signed into the Sustainable Development Goal. Thank God that the Deputy um, United Nations um, Secretary General, the Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations is in Nigeria. And she was even the head of Millennium Development Goals, which are now transited into Sustainable Development Goals, which talk about reducing maternal mortality by 7% by about 77% per annum going forward. But we are not achieving any of this. Yet we signed this agreement. So that is also about advocacy to get the policymakers to live up to their word, live up to what they signed. It is one thing to sign a document, but implement what has been signed. We have the National Health Act that has been signed into law which talks about certain percentages of funds that are derived from consolidated revenue should be put towards healthcare as special needs like this. Is that act being followed? So that's why advocacy groups must hold government to account, must hold policymakers to account, so that we can reverse this trend of maternal mortality in the country. Then we talk about Enlightenment, going now to address the social cultural issue. People, should, we need to change our belief system, have more faith in our health services. Also, there's a need not only for people to have faith in them, the people that are involved in the health services must also make themselves approachable. We must embrace the, the rights, we must know and embrace the rights of the patient. Respectful maternal care should be our watchword. And this cannot be done without training and retraining. 
staff motivation is very important too. Without staff motivation, a lot of um, what patients feel is that the frustration of those in the orthodox medical practice, that is the patients that are on the receiving end, poor remuneration, um, poor conditions of service, inadequate facilities, these are enough to frustrate medical practitioners, midwives, nurses, those that work in the convent in the orthodox sector of medicine, it frustrates them and this frustration is turned back towards the patient. So that's why training and retraining is very important. One must remember the goals of why one entered into the medical practice, which is to help humanity. And though that is very, very paramount, once one remembers that, I think there will be better um, the communities will embrace the health sector and this will help a long way in reducing maternal and child uh, maternal mortality and mobility. But also very, very important is that we must get religious leaders and other leaders of thought must be um, part of this drive, part of this. Now the world has changed globally than what it was before 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. There was nothing like Twitter, there was nothing like Facebook, there was nothing like social media about 20, 30 odd years ago. But these are inventions now that, um, and they have what we call influencers. There are people that other people now, not even religious people, there are these influencers now, there are other people holding high regard and even listen to what they even say more than even what their parents say. So it's also get these people on board so that they will now be able to pass this message across. And what is the message that we want to be passed across that is so important for women? They are the message of they should go for antenatal care once they have missed their period at least for two months. Once, by the second missed period, the woman should go for antenatal care, very important. They should also talk about financing. Finance is very important. They should draw up a program of how to finance their antenatal care and delivery care. Also, the woman should be taught about what are the danger signs and what should prompt her to go to the hospital. And on our part as medical workers, we have to go to the communities and let them be aware of what is on offer for them. With the political will, we can reverse this trend. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you very much, sir. Uh, actually, I, I was going to um, go on to, you know, ask for um, uh, for the solutions to these problems you previously highlighted. Ah, but how, however, I think you, you did justice in uh, the, in the, uh, the the last uh, response you gave us. A lot of solutions. Uh, I even lost track while I was trying to just down some things. So um, thank you very much, sir. Um, Sissy, you can go now. Okay. Thank you very, very much, sir. Yes, the delays, addressing delays, education. I quite agree with 
But I was going to say, from my observation so far, I might be wrong. I stand to be corrected. I don't know. I feel Nelson will agree with me. But I've noticed there are more of male obstetricians in Nigeria. I, I may be wrong, as I said earlier. Could it be because of the sociocultural beliefs we have here in Nigeria that the woman belongs to the kitchen, she needs to do a lot of things, get herself involved with busy work? Do not think that if the reverse was the case, that's if you agree with me that there are more male obstetricians in Nigeria, do you think if the reverse is the case, there could be an improvement in maternal health care? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay, um, one of the reasons why they are, you're not wrong in that regard, one of the reasons why there are a lot of male obstetricians in Nigeria is that obstetrics is one of the very tasking um, subspecialties. Um, very tasking in that sometimes we keep very odd hours. When your day starts, you don't know when your day ends. Um, for women to um, key into that, you must have a very, very understanding husband. I know so many wonderful female obstetricians. There's one that I even trained briefly on that. That is Professor Galadanchi when I was in Kano. She is a very, very wonderful obstetrician. I don't know where she gets her energy from because one minute she's a Aminikano teacher hospital, the next minute she's a Hata, Hatia Bayaru maternal and child hospital. Next minute you hear that she has traveled to one conference or the other. I wonder where she gets her energy from. I know I don't think I can do half of the things that she does. But by and large, this does not necessarily, without in essence, affect the policy-making decision um, that affects um, women's care. Because um, a number of times when you have, we have round table discussion, we even see that even the men that are even more passionate about issues about women, and we'll be wondering, ah, why are the women more passionate? Why aren't the women more passionate about their own issues? Um, part of the problems we have, I think, is the, um, the nature of the society we live in. Take it or leave it, Nigeria is a male-dominated society. Even the laws of Nigeria are tailored in such a way that give greater propensity to the male gender over the female. And because of this, even our religious upbringing also puts the male at the forefront of leading such um, discussions and all such charge in that area. So that sort of, in a way, puts the women at a disadvantage in airing their views. However, there are those women that tend to raise their head above what society expects of them and are great advocates for women's rights, gender, gender equality, and better healthcare for women. So those women that are in those fields, we don't, uh, they are given, they are so prominent because they seem to be coming out of the norm, they're coming out of their shell to push for this issue. So it's not necessary that we are not pushing. 
we are pushing hard to see how these issues can be addressed. But would I say in Nigeria, we have one main problem that is really affecting the ability for policy to push through. And that is the issue of insecurity, the issue of insurgency. Because if you look at the health statistics in Nigeria, it's worse. What weighs us down are those areas of insecurity, those areas of insurgency. So any policy that is made, when a huge chunk of Nigeria's money is going into insecurity, fighting insurgency, buying weapons from the military, how then can health care come into that discussion? It is very, very difficult. And that's why our health budget appears to be reducing each year while the military expenditure keeps on increasing every year. So one of the key policy decisions is we need to end the insecurity in Nigeria so that other sectors that are bleeding because all our money is going into insecurity, other sectors like healthcare, education can be addressed. Ideally, there should be an emergency in the healthcare sector now, but nobody would be able to declare that emergency and divert so much huge resources towards maternal healthcare when insurgency, insecurity, kidnapping, banditry, armed robbery, militancy, you name it, are putting such a huge demand on the government. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so Dan. much, sir. Yeah, thank you. Um, sir, uh, this question, we're, we're, we're about round, you know, but- um, Thank you. I, I would really love to, yeah. Well, I would really love to ask you this question. Um, this is this is not uh, particularly related to what we're discussing now, but I feel like it might have some, you know, um, influence, or it might have some, uh, uh, you know, some kind of link to what we are discussing today about maternal health. So um, I've noticed this uh, particular striking uh, link between um, uh, being in obstetrics, or being an obstetrician, and then engaging in politics. Uh, I can cite many examples. Our former Minister of Health, uh, Professor uh, uh, Isaac Adiwale, was uh, 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 obstetrician. Uh, the present Minister for um, Commissioner for Health, rather, of um, Akwaibom State, uh, who is uh, my teacher, and uh, please permit me to say, sir, and also your teacher, um, is uh, an obstetrician, a great one at, at that. So. Um, even the, the, the chief medical director of um, the teaching hospital, uh, where you are a senior registrar, um, is also you know an obstetrician. So, uh, sir, is there any link between uh, you know being an obstetrician and also uh, you know engaging in politics? Okay, um, thank you very much. Um, well, not to say that there's any direct link per se, but as an obstetrician, there's one title that we always where we uh, as well, and that is that we are advocates for women's reproductive rights, reproductive and uh, health rights. So when you become an advocate in that nature, you end up seeing that you cannot change much by sitting by the sidelines and making noise. Because when you're an advocate, it appears as if you're just on the sidelines, making noise, shouting, shouting at government every time. 
the best way to change the system in the end is not from the outside, but from within. So that's why a lot of obstetricians, over time, they sit down and realize that, ah, I want to change the system. I want to change what is going on now. Let me go and find out that the only way that you can change the system is from inside and from embracing politics. So that is why a lot of them end up doing that. So it's not to say that uh, we go for a special political class <laughs> as a politician. No, it is just common sense. Now, when you want to change the system and you see that you are from outside, you have been shouting, making noise for years, and nothing is changing, then um, if you can't beat them, then you have to join them and see if you can change them from within. So that's um, one of the key explanations. There are so many, um, so many of them that have gone into politics and I, they are doing very, very well. Thank you very much for that question. Thank you, sir. Um, I, think, I think I'm happy now, I'm satisfied with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, I don't know if uh, any of the uh, participants have um, questions. Um, I will be doing it is that you would, I would, you unmute yourself and um, you ask your question. Um, if you have question, you can just signify by, uh, you know, in the chat, then uh, by raising up your hand, and then I will um, call you to ask a question. Uh, but just before that, while you are preparing your question, I would really love to um, introduce um, uh, someone very important. He just joined us from right from, uh, from when we started midway, and then uh, he has stayed up, to, up until this moment. So um, it is my honor to um, introduce the founding uh, chair of Institution Nigeria in person of Dr. Aliyu Ndajiwa. He's a medical doctor in uh, MENA, teaching hospital, Niger State, and is with us here. Uh, Dr. Aliyu, please, can you say um, hi to the house? An aspiring neurosurgeon, too. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Nelson, and thank you so much, uh, Chief Dr. Eshen, for having us today and enlightening us all on your vast experience and guiding us on how perhaps we would, uh, how, how perhaps the, the state of maternal health is here in the country. It's, it was really eye-opening. Uh, even though I'm an aspiring neurosurgeon, uh, I mean, as a medical officer in this country, you cannot run away from obstetrics and gynecology. It's like, it's, it's, I think it's, it's the most, as, as a medical doctor, literally you do more things in ONG than any other specialty, even if it's not the specialty you want. And like he said, any ONG person, uh, as a doctor, feels like they're, they're reproductive rights advocates. I myself, I feel that way, just from my experience in medical school and also during house job and even being a medical officer, I feel the need, you know, to to advocate and perhaps even within whether it's research or by educating others or by giving opportunities to others or by involving yourself to learn skills to improve the actual state of maternal health in the country um thank you again thank you very much for, for having us and for sharing everything thank you thank you very much all right uh much appreciation to dr Aliu. thank you um uh, is there anybody with um, um, a question? 
amongst our I participants. Question. Okay. A final question. Okay, sir. We've heard so much about medical legal issues in respect to practicing Obangain in UK, US, especially. Are there really? Do we have that here in Nigeria? And you know, why are people being sued? I just wanted to know. Thank you very much for that question. Um, there's one thing I we okay. Well, once you graduate as a medical student and become a doctor, ideally you're supposed to be given a little book called the Code of Medical Ethics in Nigeria. That book is supposed to guide your practice. If peradventure one falls, um, if one falls below the standard set by that book or goes foul of the standard set by that Code of Medical Ethics in Nigeria, one could face some medical legal challenge. That is the starting point. So the first thing is that that code should be your the one guiding principle of practice. Now the issue of medical legal issues in Nigeria. Medical legal issues are on the uprise. Why? There's more enlightenment. Patients are beginning to know more about their rights, and unfortunately, lawyers too have seen that as an area to exploit, to get money for themselves. That's the truth. They have been recently in the recent past, like I know about almost three conferences held by various branches of Nigerian Bar Association focused on medical legal issues. There was even one that it said medical legal uh, litigation and on tax resort. I can never forget, <laughs> I, can never, I can never forget that headline. I said, what? That they are able to say that ah, that's a new way for them to be making money. But the truth about this is what that people are becoming more enlightened. Lawyers too are becoming more enlightened too. That this is an area that they need to explore. And take it or leave it. There are so many pressures in Nigeria that makes one want to cut corners and fall foul of these code of ethics. So that's why I advise as much as possible the younger colleagues that please don't try and cut corners in um, your practice. Adhere to what is um, preferred by this medical, uh, this code of medical ethics in Nigeria. And if one is not sure of what one is doing, if it is proper, always refer to a more clear colleague. That is the honest to God truth. And if one is still not sure, one may need to refer to a lawyer. We'd be very surprised how many times I've, I've been I've had to call a lawyer and ask, is this and uh, this proper? How do I go about this in such situations? Even hospitals keep lawyers. I remember that almost all the major hospitals have a lawyer attached because there are some scenarios that one may not be too sure of what one is doing and may need to call upon 
a lawyer for legal advice in case it will go to the aspect of litigation. There are so many cases that uh, readily comes to mind, but um, what I would just advise is that one should walk along the straight and narrow path because you'd be very surprised that even as a young doctor, as a young medical student, one can be called to face a panel to, that is doing an inquest into one's action. So that's why as much as possible, if one is not sure of what one is doing, please defer to a more senior colleague. Me? Thank you very much for that question. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, sir. Yeah. yeah. Do we, please do have any other um, question. Uh, okay. Um, in the absence of any other question, um, on a final note, sir, um, I would just like you to, you know, give us a very short, um, you know, uh, admonition, such like something like an advice to uh, boarding, uh, you know, obstetricians, uh, medical students, and uh, uh, even younger ones, uh, younger uh, obstetricians, people who want to, uh, you know, uh, set, um, follow your footsteps. So, um, what advice would you give them? Uh, just on the final. Well, the number one advice that I'll give is um, one will need, it's so, so important that one has a mentor. A mentor is like one guide, is one, um, is one that takes one from where they are starting from to the end point. The mentor helps to mold your character because it's not only about the skill and knowledge. Skill, knowledge is what you need to go through medical school. Skill is what you need to save a patient's life. But character is what builds you to be a doctor in the end of the day. So a mentor is what puts together all these three aspects of one's life and guides one to achieve the best. So knowledge, I won't talk too much about knowledge because to qualify as a doctor, you must be knowledgeable. One must be intelligent. And knowledge, you can get knowledge from the books, internet, wherever. So knowledge can easily be acquired. Skill can be acquired. Assisting, there are even so many videos on YouTube, people watch videos. There are so many simulators. Skill can be acquired with time. But the character and experience to know what is the right thing to do at every point of time, to know what specialty will fit you in your career going forward. One needs a guide, and that guide is a mentor. Most times, um, one may not necessarily have one mentor. So if you're sitting there and thinking, ah, I have this person I like, oh, this person does this, this person does that, one may not necessarily have one mentor. One may have more than one mentor to help set one's moral compass. And with that, um, the sky is the limit. I want to thank Incision for inviting me. I really identify with your goals and your vision because the truth about it is that we, the more senior ones, will not be here forever. It is you that hold the future, you that hold the dream of medical practice globally, worldwide, going forward. 
You are the future. You are the ones that are going to take medicine to the next height. You are the ones that are going to invent robotic surgery. You are the ones that are going to invent robotic anesthesia. You are the ones that are going to perfect the art of telemedicine, the art of distance surgery. A surgeon, just like a pilot, is sitting, a, a, a pilot flies a drone. He's sitting in Nebraska. He's flying a drone in Iraq. One day, surgery will get to that level. That surgeon will sit down in the United States of America, will be operating a patient through robotic surgery in Nigeria. That is possible. So what I will say is that for the upcoming generation, never, um, don't be jaded. Let your dreams not die out. Let not your imagination die out. Because whatever you can imagine, you can always achieve. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. God bless you uh, for that opportunity. You, um, yeah. So um, I would quickly like to invite uh, the chair um, uh, of the institution Nigeria in person of Uchina um, Imenogu to uh, round up this session. This session. Uh, hello, everyone. Good evening. Thank you very much for finding out time to join us today. And this is, so this is um, just part of our series. So I want to let the speaker thank you very much for finding out time to, to grace this um, event. We uh, really appreciate what you've said so far today. And I must say that you've really said so much, so many striking things here. And part of which struck me was when we said that um, as healthcare professionals, that we need to kind of educate patients on their rights. And I so much agree with you that as doctors, as um, obstetricians, surgeons, and co, we need to educate our patients on their rights. And even as we educate them, we also have to respect their rights. So thank you so much. And I also um, appreciate what you said that we should not let our imaginations die. And uh, you went ahead to, to uh, mention that um, we want us to come to a point where um, a surgeon in America can, can operate on a patient here in Nigeria. And I also thought that, okay, why not having a case whereby we have surgeons in Nigeria here operating on patients in America? I believe it will happen very soon. So, sir, thank you very, very much. We uh, really appreciate you. Also, special thanks to Yes, special thanks to our moderators, um, Dr. Nelson Imabasi. You did so, so marvelously well. Thank you so much. And Dr. Sisi, I find it difficult to pronounce your names. <laughs> Kindly bear with me, please. <laughs> I think I will, I will have to go learn that properly. Thank you very much. And I can't feel... Okay, sorry, Cordial, thank you so much for, for um, supporting us so far. We really appreciate you. And also our participants, I can't begin to mention names here. So many came around and some have left, and we, ha and we still have some who have also remained here. Thank you so much for identifying with what we do here. I can see um, 
um, Dr. Princess Winafate, Toluani Do, and Tunde Olobatuke. Thank you so much for joining us here. And um, may I um, remind us that tomorrow, which is the 11th of April, 2021 is, um, has been reserved as a day to celebrate um, maternity, uh, maternal health and rights um, all around the world. So this event was actually um, like um, that celebration. So tomorrow we'll be sharing this video on our, our YouTube page and also on our Facebook page. So I want to implore us to go back and like our YouTube page like our Facebook page, um, our Twitter handles, Instagram, and co. I will also appreciate getting feedbacks from you on how we can make this series better in the future. So thank you very much. Back to you, Nelson. All right, uh, on this note, we've come to the end of the interview session. Thank you so uh, much. Uh, the chair so said much. a lot. Um, uh, so I, I just want to reiterate uh, uh, by repeating our pickup for today, Dr. Essien uh, Atta. Uh, you've done so marvelously well, sir. Um, we appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful. Yeah. So bye, everyone. So bye, bye. everyone. Bye. Bye. bye.